You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. is Jesus was and is always the Christ, always the Messiah, always the anointed one, always the true son of God, the one who came from God and took on the likeliness of man. He was God incarnate. He was the word that dwelt among us. Jesus will always be the son of God. He was the son of God before the foundations of the world and he will always be that. When the world is no more, he will continue to be that. In our world around us, we are often bombarded with many conflicting ideas of who Jesus was. Some say that he was just a man. Others say he was some kind of superhero. In today's message, Pastor Dave explains how we are assured that Jesus is who he says he is, God incarnate, and the Word among us. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 1 John chapter 5 with today's edition of A Sure Hope. studied in verse 5, the apostle said, who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? He continues the thought in verse 6. Remember, there were no chapters, there were no breaks here. This was all one thought. He continues the thought in verse 6. It says, this is he, Jesus, who came by water and blood. Jesus Christ, not only by water, but by water and blood, he says. John makes it clear that the Jesus he's speaking about is not the Gnostic phantom that has been taught, who was so holy that he could have nothing to do with the world. The Jesus we must believe on is the Jesus that came by water and blood. The Jesus who was part of a real, material, flesh-and-blooded earth. In other words, this is the historical Jesus. This is the historical Jesus. And John returns to a theme that we've returned to numerous times in our study of this epistle. All the way back to number one. What was seen and heard and looked upon and handled, this was real stuff. This is real people, real things. Just like the water and blood are real, so was the coming of Son of God, Jesus Christ. What does this mean? Well, I'm going to give you the basic arguments or the basic thoughts about what it means, and you for yourself can choose which way you want to go. Some believe that John speaks of the water. He is speaking about our own baptism. And the blood speaks of receiving communion, and that John writes how Jesus comes to us in the two the Christian sacraments of baptism and communion. This is held by the likes of John Calvin and Martin Luther. Guzik writes this, quote, If this is the case, it doesn't add up to the historical perspective John had when he wrote, came by water and blood. 
It seems to write of something that happened in the past, not something that is ongoing, unquote. The next argument comes from Augustine or Augustine. He believed that the water and the blood describes the water and blood that flowed from Jesus' side when he was stabbed with the spear in John 19, verse 34. In John 19, verse 34, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water came out. This was an important event for the apostle John. Why? Because he saw it. John was there. He saw this. But immediately after this description of blood and water, John adds this to his gospel in 35. And he who has seen testified, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth so that you may believe. This is John writing an afterthought to his script here. Yet, if this was John's meaning, it's still a little unclear how it can be said that Jesus came by water and blood. Still, others believe that the water spoke of Jesus' first birth, being born of the waters of the womb, and his blood speaks of his death. If this is the case, John would be essentially writing, Jesus was born like a man and died like a man. He was completely human, not some super spiritual being that had real no contact with the material world, which is what the Gnostics were teaching. Probably the best explanation. They all have merit. Don't get me wrong. They all have merit. But probably the best explanation is the oldest one recorded in Christian understanding. And it was recorded by the Christian Tertullian. John means the water of Jesus' baptism and the blood of his crucifixion. And that's what we're looking at here. When Jesus was baptized, he was not baptized like the other people being baptized at that time. He wasn't baptized into the repentance of sin. Why? He didn't have any sin. He was sinless. But because he wanted to identify with the humanity, when he came out of the water, it was like he was saying, I'm one of you. I'm doing this to identify with you. What else happened at Jesus' baptism? Words from heaven. Father speaks. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Likewise, when Jesus went to the cross and died, he didn't die because he had to. Death had no power over him. He laid down his life to identify with sinful humanity and to save us from our sin. When he came by blood, it was so that he could stand in our place as a guilty sinner and take the punishment for our sin that we so justly deserved. The Apostle Paul makes mention of this in his letter to the Corinthian church. In 2 Corinthians, specifically in chapter 5, in verse 21, it's a very famous verse. You've heard it before. Paul writes this, For he made him... For God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him, Jesus. Again, when Jesus was on the cross, God displayed himself once again in the awesome, incredible power. Awesome, incredible. Supernatural darkness. The earthquake. The rending of the temple from top to bottom. 
This led the centurion. Remember the centurion who was standing at the foot of the cross? When he saw all this, when he heard Jesus' words, when he saw all this, what did his response be? What did he say? Truly, this is the Son of God. He heard with his ears and something quickened in his heart. And he declared, truly, this is the Son of God. This explanation also connects with what Jesus said to John in John 3, 5, when he said to Nicodemus, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Being born of the water is the passage that speaks of the cleansing waters of baptism. John insisted that Jesus didn't come by water of baptism, but also by the water of the cross, by blood of the cross. He was just as much the Son of God on the cross as he was walking around. Jesus never lost his deity. He was always God. So what's the bottom line? What's the bottom line that John's trying to say here? Well, I think the bottom line is Jesus was and is always the Christ. Always the Messiah. Always the anointed one. Always the true son of God. The one who came from God and took on the likeliness of man. He was God incarnate. He was the word that dwelt among us. Jesus will always be the Son of God. He was the Son of God before the foundations of the world, and he will always be that. When the world is no more, he will continue to be that. So the first witness that John gives us is the water, and the second witness is the blood. The third witness is the Holy Spirit. We trust in the Holy Spirit because he's known as the Spirit of truth. One of his responsibilities is to bear witness of Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus told the disciples that the Father would send the Holy Spirit. And when he said this to them, he said these things in John 15, verse 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And then in 1614, he says, speaking of the Holy Spirit, he will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was at Jesus' was present at Jesus' baptism. We know, like a dove, the Spirit descended upon him. The Holy Spirit was present at the cross. Folks, the Holy Spirit is the only active person of the Godhead on earth today. And he was present when Jesus was ministering. The witness of the Father is past, but the witness of the Spirit continues. It continues even now. Ne'er dare I say that most of us were saved by the witness of the Spirit. As the Spirit witnessed Jesus Christ to you, something quickened in your heart, and you believed, and you were born again. Paul tells us in Romans that the Spirit witnesses to the heart of the believer. As a believer, the Spirit witnesses to you and your heart. In verses 16, excuse me, 15 and 16 in Romans 8. We'll probably read through 17. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption in whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and join heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. 
Beautiful passage. Beautiful, beautiful passage. The Spirit witnesses to us through God's Word. And why not? Wasn't he the inspiration according to what Paul wrote Timothy? He's the inspiration. As we read through God's Word, the Holy Spirit speaks to us and teaches us. And it's interesting, though, if you are not born again by the Spirit, you don't get this revelation. And I can prove that what Paul said to the church in Corinth one more time in his first letter to the Corinthians in chapter 2, verse 14. He said, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But if you have the Holy Spirit by being born again, you can spiritually discern all things. John has already told us that the Spirit in us witnesses that we are children of God. A Christian who has the Holy Spirit feels at home with God's people because the Spirit dwells in them. And the Spirit always bears witness. We've had this discussion before. You meet someone brand new, someone who you don't know on the street, and you start talking to them for some reason, just a simple hello or something like that. And there's, also, there's something going on, and you feel like there's something happening. You feel like you've known this person all your lives. You feel like they're your best friend, and all of a sudden you find out they're a Christian. Well, that's right. The Spirit in him and the Spirit in you are communicating, and they're bearing witness of Jesus Christ. And you see that. It's happened to you. I know it's happened to you. And it's interesting that John presents three witnesses that Jesus is God. Why? Deuteronomy 19, verse 15. Deuteronomy 19, verse 15. In the law, it says this, One witness shall not rise against a man concerning any iniquity or any sin that he commits by the mouth. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be established. John has presented three witnesses. John has presented three witnesses. One witness is never enough to establish the fact. John gives us three, the water, the blood, the spirit. In this, John establishes the fact, the truth of Jesus' true identity. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus came from God by water, blood, and spirit. Jesus is God. It's paramount that we let this sink into our head. It's paramount that we believe this as we move forward in our Christian walk. Verse 7 is an interesting read. For there are three that bear witness in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. These three are one. And you're probably going, whoa, look at this. We're talking about the Trinity right here in the Scripture. This is fantastic. Hold that thought. Hold that thought. The only place this appears is in the original King James and in the new King James. It's nowhere else. These words occur in no Greek translation until the 14th century, except for the 11th century or 12th century manuscript in which they have been added on the margin by another hand. It's a good study. And we should be aware of this because there are groups who will use this against you when they come against you about the validity of the Trinity. Got to go to our theologian, Guzik, and listen to his explanation. Quote, Passages like this give us no reason to fear that our New Testament is unreliable. In the entire New Testament, there are only 50 passages which have some sort of question regarding the reliability of the text, and none of those are the sole foundation of any Christian doctrine or belief. If 50 passages sound like a lot, 
See it this way. No more than one one thousandth of the text is in question at all, unquote. Saints, there are many, many scriptures that support the existence of the Trinity all throughout the Bible. What I suggest to you, do a Bible study on it. Look up the words. Look up yourself and have a personal study about this. It would be good for you. Most scholars agree that by omitting verse 7 does not alter or affect the teaching of the text at all. So the Spirit is bearing witness of Jesus Christ and of that salvation that we have through Jesus Christ. And when we come to verse 8, it says that there are three that bear witness on the earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree as one. The Spirit bears witness that the blood of Jesus Christ was shed, and it cleanses us from all sin. These three bear record, the record of God, that there is forgiveness provided for you for the sins from God through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. We've already discussed that the Spirit bears witness to us that we are indeed children of God. And the water, the blood, and the Spirit, these three are in agreement as one. They are working together in you, and they give you the assurance that you are truly a Christian. You're a child of God. Yes, you are. John finishes his thought here. That the witness of God is greater than the witness of men. Let's read 9 and 10. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his Son. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is so much greater. It's amazing to me that people will swear by these ancient books of Plato and Aristotle. They'll swear by the Iliad and the Odyssey. They'll swear by these ancient writings of all these philosophers and yet think this is a bunch of hooey. It's amazing to me that they will do that. Well, John is telling you why. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is so much greater. And let me ask you a question. What is our entire court system based on? Ten Commandments and the witness of men. The witness of men. I mean, think about it. You've been charged with a crime. You plead innocent. You get a good attorney. The prosecuting attorney has one witness. Who are you? Tells you them. What did you see? Well, you know, on March such and such at 2 o'clock, I saw this happen, and I saw that happen, and I saw this, and I saw that. Do you see the man in the courtroom? Yeah, he's sitting right there. And he brings somebody else up. What about you? Oh, I remember this pretty well. And he goes on and on and on and on. One witness, two witness, three witness, blah, 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 blah. Jury, what's your verdict? Guilty. Our whole system of our court is based on that. It's based on that. If we will accept the witness of men, why then we don't accept the witness of God? Why don't we accept God through his Holy Spirit? Why is that so difficult for us? It's interesting to me, we will not believe men, well, excuse me, it's interesting how men, they will believe men, as I said, Aristotle and all these ancient philosophers, but they will not believe Jesus Christ. 
They accept the word of men, who, you know, sometimes their word is not real trustworthy. I'm sure that you've been on the other end of a great convincing story only to find out that it was bunk. We believe the word of men, the witness of God is greater. So what is he saying? We ought to believe God. We ought to believe God. This is the witness which he testified as his son. The spirit bears witness, the spirit within me, the spirit within you, so that there is an eternal witness within me testifying of the truth of Jesus Christ. It's in my heart. The Holy Spirit quickened my heart to believe in the first place, worked on me, convicted me of sin, of judgment, and of righteousness, convicted me, and showed me the love of Jesus Christ, and brought me to the cross. It was the Holy Spirit working in me, ministering to me. We should have absolutely no doubt because of the witness of the Spirit that is in your heart today. And as I read these words, your spirit in you should be saying, yes, this is true. This is true. That intuitive, internal knowledge that I have by the witness that is within me, the witness of God's Spirit. Now comes the harsh words. If you don't believe the witness of God, you're calling God a liar. That's a pretty difficult charge. What did you do with my son? Yeah, you know, I thought he was a prophet and a good guy. You mean you didn't believe in him? No, even though you had witnesses? No. Are you calling me a liar? Ugh. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. But that's the charge against you when you refuse to believe God's witness to your heart. They call that the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. The dreaded blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. The one unforgivable sin. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Sinning against the Holy Spirit and not believing the witness of the Holy Spirit that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Jesus Christ is God. If he's the Son of God, he has to be God. Because they are one. They are equal. God has made no other provision for man to have salvation. There is salvation by no other name except Jesus Christ. When you sin against the Holy Spirit, you're calling him a liar when he bears witness to you that you need Jesus Christ. John's main point as we close. John's main point today. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Son of the one true living God. He is equal to God. He is the one that God sent. He was with God in the beginning. He is the one that came and dwelt among us. Therefore, i.e., Jesus is God. It's simple. But we have to take it into our heart and let the Spirit talk to us in spirit. This is the first one that John speaks about. This is the certainty that we have. Do you believe that today? Is that in your heart today? It's the foundation of our very faith. Believing this, we can have a blessed assurance. That blessed assurance that John wants to give us. You are this has been another edition of A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank. Thanks for tuning in. Sometimes it's helpful to know what your boundaries are 
what the acceptable parameters are for living your life. In this book, John made it clear to those he was writing to the differences or contrasts between light and dark, truth versus lies, and Christ versus the Antichrist. These are opposites of one another, because like all of life, there is a constant reminder of good and evil, of sin and righteousness. Throughout God's Word, He provides clues and instructions of what things are good and right. He also gives warning of what's wrong and sinful. So John's writing is a reminder of the boundaries God's put in place for your benefit. This is not any kind of punishment or consequence. On the contrary, it's to give you more freedom and to allow you to live life to the fullest, here on earth and beyond. Is your heart waging war between these things that John has written about? Are you wrestling between loving the world and loving God? If you'd like to talk to someone about the things that you've heard today, please don't hesitate to call us at 609-884-5821. Again, that number, 609-884-5821. Keep looking to Scripture for answers and know that we care about the journey you're on. We're so glad you tuned in to Assure Hope today. Feel free to listen to more messages like this on our website, assurehoperadio.com. Be sure to join us again next time here on Assure Hope. He rescued